1: By this point, it's no secret that the pandemic severely stunted learning outcomes for children and teens. But COVID didn't just impact learning in the classroom, it also had a serious effect on how students behaved and interacted with one another. I'm Elena Sachs, sitting in for Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with The Oregonian. Today, I'm talking to education reporter Julia Silverman. Julia covers grades K through 12, but today we're zooming in to focus on one particular subset, middle schoolers. Specifically, why so many of them misbehaved during the pandemic and why they've continued to do so. Julia, thanks for coming back on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. And I admit that this is a topic that is near and dear to my own heart because I have middle school twins. So, um, I, yeah, this one's personal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that later in the conversation. (laughs) Uh, So, I kind of want to start actually by talking about the opening or the lead of your story. Um, It opens with kind of this anecdote of a Portland area sixth grader, Zane who started bringing a notebook to school to document his own bullying at the request of school staff. And that's kind of wild to me. Uh, Can you talk a bit about what Zane shared with you about his experience over the last year or two years?
0: Yeah, I can. So this is a a lovely and really exceptional kid. And, um, you know, it's a kid who has is, is very much at home home in his own body and really knows who he is in a way that I'm not sure that I do at 46 <laughs> right um so here's a kid who showed up for the first day of school um i think he i think i remember him telling me that like his hair was purple and he had sort of like specially curated his outfit mm. and he had come from a um you know elementary school that was uh, an arts magnet that was a, a pretty loving and close environment and had always been a good student and, um, you know, had a lot of, um, a, a real sense of self, I would say. And, you know, he and his mom say that he has really struggled, um, from the beginning, um, at middle school this year. And, um, there was, uh, you know, things, things did get so bad that eventually, um, The school said to him, uh, you know, hey, you need to um, help us to keep track of everything that's happening. And so he, you know, began to write down, well, um, you know, this day somebody tripped me or this day um, somebody tried to steal my phone or, you know, more seriously, this day somebody threatened to rape me or um, this day... um, you know, uh, there's an incident that really stands out for him and his family, um, which was about a conversation around when the World Cup was happening in Qatar. And they were talking in his social studies class about um, the country's really horrific record on human rights violations against uh, LGBTQIA plus people. And um, this is a kid who identifies as, as gay. And um, he says that one of his classmates suggested that um, he um, and and others um, should be publicly executed just for being gay, and and that's pretty serious, yeah. pretty yeah. serious stuff. Wow. Um, so it's. Now, you you use the phrase anecdote, and I think that's right. Um, There are lots of kids at middle schools and lots of different experiences. So um, from this one kid, I wanted to zoom out to take a broader look at what middle schools look like around Portland this year. Last year, um, people who follow education in the metro area closely will remember that um, it d- did seem, wasn't an easy re-entry for anybody, but we, we started around about October and November to hear about really disturbing incidents in middle schools. In the Reynolds School District, which is in eastern Multnomah County, one middle school just shut down for three weeks um, in last November, not because of COVID, but because oh, sorry, November of 2021. Mm. What is time? <laughs> um, just to make that clear, um, they shut down for three weeks because the 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 behavior had gotten so bad that wow. the school administration very honestly said, "We need a reset here. We 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 need to start over and reestablish behavior expectations." Something that stands out for me, um, because I follow Portland Public Schools particularly closely, is that at the end uh, in May of 2022, um, about almost 50 middle school teachers from around the district signed a letter to PPS and essentially said, you have got to do something. We need more help. Students and teachers deserve to feel safe in middle school. If we zoom out even further, we know, right, that discipline has always been an issue, a disproportionate issue in middle school. And it makes sense. Middle school is a weird time. Nobody (laughs) likes it. Um, Hormones are going crazy. Kids are just kind of figuring out how to transition into being adults, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so it's always been true that middle schools are disproportionately represented when you look at the numbers of referrals to the principal's office or suspensions from school or even worst case scenarios, expulsions. And of course, we also know that um, There are really disturbing patterns in discipline that suggest that Black students and um, Hispanic, Latino students and um, Native students tend to be disciplined at higher rates in school than their white and Asian peers, right? And um, I wanna call out in particular a subset of that, um, which is special education students who um, are are also, uh, and special education students of color in particular, who are also really disproportionately represented in, in discipline statistics. What was different about last year, and to some extent this year in middle schools, is the intensity of the behaviors. It just seemed to really be amped up. And again, it makes sense. These are kids who were between about nine and eleven when the pandemic lockdown started, right? And think about yourself at that age. That's the time when you should be developing some independence. You know, um, your friends are super important and influential, and instead you're like in a house with your parents, <laughs> looking at a screen. Yeah. And that's if you're if you're lucky, you were able to be in a in a, in a house somewhere safe with your parents, right? right. That's, that's a privilege that not everybody had. So, um, you know, of course, these kids had some developmental, I think, dysregulation, I, I, I could see it at my house, too. Mm. You know, um, and then they all went back into schools, and it was a bit of a mess. So that's yeah. a long preamble, <laughs> I can stop, or I can tell you um, how this year is going. <laughs>
1: I I was going to ask kind of what is different about this year, because as you said, middle school is kind of just notoriously like pandemic or no pandemic. Like it's notoriously kind of like just a rough place for a lot of people. Um, So would you say kind of really the difference is just. It's just scale, like intensity. Right,
0: right. And more kids being more dysregulated and needing to relearn how to be a part of a school community. Yeah. And, and not only that, how to be a part of a school community where more adult expectations are placed on you, right? Mm. I mean, elementary schools, by and large, are like fuzzier, warmer places. Um, and I'm not saying there's not lots of love in middle school, too. But like, that's the age when we start to expect kids to take more responsibility ability for their own actions and their own homework and their 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 general behaviors right yeah. so and which is appropriate um you know you're going into mid, to high school no one's there's fewer people to hold your hand we we're trying to prepare kids to be adults to be independent to be standing on their own two feet right. and middle school is the bridge to that so yeah i really i i do know that um from my reporting i know that Um, a number of districts in the Portland metro area did hear that sort of call and realized that they had under-resourced middle schools to some level last year. Mm. Um, And many of them chose to use federal pandemic relief dollars to provide, um, you know, uh, new resources and and new really bodies in the building um, for middle schools in particular. So, In my story, I spotlighted um, the Portland Public Schools District's decision to invest in restorative justice coordinators. Mm -hmm. Um, Twelve—that's it's a big investment. Twelve people who work on this program, and I can explain what RJ is. Is it okay if I call it RJ? Sure, go for it. Okay, (laughs) acronym. Um, and in addition, um, the district put um more um people whose job it is to help with like s- security. And by that I don't mean um police. I mean people who are literally in the hallway, you know, sometimes just having an adult present is enough to avert a fist fight or whatever, right? Um and they um put in some more. Uh, social workers who are there to try to help um, not just students, but families um, navigate their way to finding the resources they need, whether it's help with food stamps or housing assistance, or even just a place to do your laundry. Right. So um, they did. I do think um, many districts made an effort to try to shore up this age group. Now, is it helping? (laughs) That's the zillion dollar question.
1: Yeah. Obviously I think when, people first hear about this, there's this uptick in, you know, student misbehavior, bullying, and, you know, starting with Zane's experience, like, it's kind of highlighting, like, quote, unquote, bad behavior. But then, of course, you also in your story talk about, it's not just that, it's like, there's been an increase in mental health challenges and substance abuse among middle schoolers. Um, And I guess, could you just kind of touch on how these issues are kind of related because, of course, you know, bad behavior, quote unquote, does not occur in a vacuum. There's often a reason for it. It's usually uh, kind of embroiled in in many other things as well. And kind of the, the influence of the pandemic on on all those factors.
0: That's such a great question. And, you know, I just talked yesterday to um, Dr. Jennifer Pfeiffer, who is a professor of psychology at the University of Oregon and um, works on adolescence specifically. And she pointed out that um, early adolescence is exactly when um, struggles with mental health tend to emerge for many people. And during the pandemic, um, when particularly when school buildings were closed, there were fewer adults around to spot that that might be happening for Hmm. kids, right? Teachers, coaches, those are the kinds of people who are first responders, who who are with a kid day in and day out, um, and who can see when something's wrong. And, you know, I can um, unfortunately tell you from personal experience, and this is something else that Dr. Pfeiffer brought up with me, is that it was very hard to access a therapist um, for your child during the pandemic. Their wait lists were incredibly long. Mm. People had scaled back their practice. Um, you know, without getting into too much detail and, and violate my own kids' privacy, I can just say that that was something that that, that we personally struggled with as well. So, um, you know, I think that that that... Issue was kind of compounded when kids went back to school back to school buildings because there was this unaddressed kind of pent up need, right? And it all was working itself out at once. So I think that's a really good question.
1: Well, so. Because you you've mentioned your your own kind of kids experience a couple times and and yes of course you don't need to get too into detail here but if you have two kids they're both in middle school at the moment how old how old are they what grades are they in? they're
0: fourteen year old twins
1: okay so okay eighth grade wow all right and did this story for you come out of seeing their experience or was it like you know kind of just tangentially related or which came first I guess.
0: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I think the answer to it points to, well, I was going to say that the answer to that question has to do with equity. Mm. But actually, in my story, I write about how you know, fights have broken out at even some of the district's most well-heeled middle schools, right? Like, um, you know, the principal at West Sylvan High School, or sorry, middle school, which is over on the west side and generally serves a wider and wealthier population, um, recently let her school community know about, a you know, pretty serious um hate-motivated uh, hate, hate motivated, um, fight between students, right? So, so this isn't, certainly isn't confined to a school that might serve a higher percentage of kids of color or families who are um, furthest from educational justice or living in poverty or have special education needs. I wouldn't say that I had ever heard from my kids that they felt unsafe at school, but I was certainly hearing from friends of theirs mm-hmm. that they were feeling that way at various schools around the city. So mm-hmm. yes, but really this story came from looking at at the data. Yeah. I mean, just the 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 discipline numbers are really alarming. And and then I had heard um I knew that the the school had that the districts were investing more money in this area and I'm always interested in following the money and the yeah. reporters so
1: <laughs> for sure I so I I kind of want to talk a bit or get into the distinctive like approaches that Various districts might be taking to this, you know, increase um, in in bullying and just students having a hard time in middle school right now. Because you mentioned discipline, but then you also mentioned, you know, these kind of newer, relatively restorative justice or RJ practices. Um, are you seeing any patterns? Does it seem like most schools that you've looked at in Portland are kind of trying to? bring more restorative justice into their approach? Or have you seen any where it's kind of more of that traditional, like, well, they're misbehaving. We're going to, you know, send them to the principal's office. They get suspended. Like, what are you seeing in in terms of those kind of different methods, I guess?
0: So I do think that RJ, um, which is also known as restorative practices, has a really broad foothold in the Portland metro area um, and has for about five years. I think Um, the difference now is that districts are going maybe even more all in, right, and Mm -hmm. trying to um, you know, if you have a full-time restorative justice coordinator on staff who can provide staff like training to the rest of the teachers and educators and staff members in the building, um, it's it's a more significant investment than if you just have, you know, um, somebody who can get called in when things are bad, right, who doesn't really know your school community. So one the things that I had the chance to do for this story was to sit in um, over at Harriet Tubman Middle School, which is in Northeast Portland. And um, I got to talk with their restorative justice coordinator there, who um, is a terrific educator called Deborah Robinson. And um, she was running a workshop for students um, who had expressed interest in becoming interveners. Basically, we all know because we've all been middle schoolers at one point that teachers aren't always there they're Mm -hmm. not there always um, listening in at the cafeteria or on the playground or in the hallways or after school and so these are kids who are um, quite brave actually willing to be the ones to kind of stick their neck up out up out and (laughs) say um hey um you know you, I mean, listen, I'm not going to try to talk like a kid. I'll sound like an idiot, but like, you know, um, like, you know, hey, this isn't cool, right? Like, yeah. you know, you guys need to, um, to 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 separate or to calm down or whatever and, and try to be kind of eyes and ears on the ground. And in order to be able to do that effectively and safely, um, it's a great idea to have some training. So when I was over at Harriet Tubman, they were running through various scenarios, right? Like, um you know, uh, one of my classmates has told me that he's gay and um, other classmates are making fun of him and how can I react? Or um, somebody is getting fat shamed in PE. Like, what are ways that, um, you know, I might, what can I say and what can I do and what can I draw on to be able to interrupt that behavior? This is new. It's a pilot um, program that was happening at Harriet Tubman, but the hope was that that can spread to other middle schools um, around Portland in particular.
1: Yeah. I actually wanted to kind of ask a follow up to that because that was one of the things while while reading your story that kind of stood out to me was this new kind of um student you know intervention mediation um kind of program or practice I guess because I on the one hand it definitely you know seems like this innovative potentially really effective um you know almost silver lining to to this unfortunate uptick in uh students kind of acting out at school um but then i did also have the thought of like is this kind of an unfair responsibility to place on students and you know what could there be backlash to them if they you know speak out and i'm just wondering from your perspective, like as someone, as a parent, as someone who's reported on this, you know, for the last several months in Portland, at least, what do you like, I guess, how do you kind of view this?
0: Yeah, I I don't think I don't think I got that. I think the kids who were in that room were all volunteers, right? Like they wanted to be there and they were ready to be there. And they were kids who had demonstrated that they were leaders in, um, you know, maybe the school's Black Student Union or their um, Queer Straight Alliance or um, the school's affinity groups for Asian American Pacific Islanders um, or Latino kids, so they they were they were there because they were ready. I think it's important to note that there were only seventh and eighth graders in that room. Nobody was asking sixth graders mm-hmm. yet to do that, you know, because you do grow up a bit in middle school. And um, I think what's really powerful is if you start thinking about those kids taking those skills with them into high school, right? And, um, you know, one of the things that you'll often hear about restorative justice is that it is not an immediate fix. And that Mm -hmm. can feel really frustrating, especially like think about if you're Zane's mom, you want an answer right now. Right. Um, you know, and which is they've and that's a family that has had some experiences with restorative justice and, and and found them to be really positive. And still like you can you can fix one problem and have another one pop up the next day, right? Yeah. But um I guess you have to sort of take the long view here and and think, you know, if you get kids in a place where they are and the educators, too, because sometimes the conflict is between a student and their teacher or, a, you know, a student and a staff member. And so the staff member, too, has to be willing to come to the circle and, and talk about what's happened and try to see what's happened from another person's perspective and understand the impact that their actions have had. And ultimately, the hope is to come to some kind of a guided resolution. And, and maybe that means an apology or maybe that means Hey, you and I are oil and water and you know what, we're just going to try to stay away from each other, you know, Um, or maybe that means like actual restitution. Like, you know, I'm sorry that I, I'm making this up, splashed water all over the bathroom floor and I'll go clean it up. You know, like maybe it's that. Right. But, um, you know, whatever it is, everybody has to be willing to be there and have the language to be there. But if you get a, a generation of kids that knows how to do that and, and teachers who know how to do it, too, in a culturally sensitive way, because don't forget, in in most Portland area schools, most faculty members are white and that's not necessarily true of the kids more and more in in our in Oregon schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- these are complicated and difficult issues, but if you get a generation of people that are, 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 are acquiring those abilities, um, it could really pay off down the line. For me, I'm, I'm interested to see whether schools will stick with, with this kind of an approach long-term, because yeah. there is always a new problem, <laughs> and there's always something that demands our attention. And I could make a case for schools going all in on so many things. I could make the case that every kid who has fallen behind during the pandemic needs a, a one-on-one tutor, and that is where schools should spend all their money. And I could make a case that, you know, career and technical education is what really keeps high schoolers in school, and that is where we should spend <laughs> all of our money, right? So, yeah. um, you know, you just, you just have to hope, though, that um, – that people will, will will stick with an approach and give it time to pay off.
1: Yeah, definitely. I You, you mentioned like teachers a little bit, and I, I just want to make sure we talk about them a bit too. I mean, I've never thought that being a middle school teacher is an easy job, but especially given everything we've just talked about, it sounds like having that job in the last year or two would be maybe especially difficult. Um, and... Yeah, based on your conversations with middle school teachers in the Portland area, like how are they doing right now and what are they kind of thinking and feeling
0: about everything that's going on? You know, I had a fantastic conversation with a, um, count, a school counselor at Centennial Middle School this morning, and I think she really summed up for me what a lot of teachers are thinking and feeling. She said, there is no question it is better that this year than last year right? There are still going to be fights. There's still going to be bullying, but it is the the scale and intensity has come down as people adjust to, you know, our shared new normal. Um, and she said that one, and I've heard this elsewhere too. She said that one thing that has made this year better is just that there's a little bit more room for joy in Mm. schools. Um, I was just talking to a parent um, of a a Roseway Heights Middle School in Portland, which is a school that had a lot of trouble last year. And she was telling me how wonderful it is just to have middle school dances back. Mm. This is the first year that schools have been able to host that. Yeah. You know? So, so these, these sort of markers, um, like the teacher, the counselor at Centennial was saying how terrific it is that they have been able to hire an art teacher. And she was like, that might be what keeps some kids getting up in the morning and coming to school, that they know they have art, right? So on the other hand, um, she said, it's still on a daily basis, it is still quite challenging because kids have been through trauma and she essentially said, we, we need, we still need more bodies. We still need more people who are here to listen and guide and, you know, hold kids' hands as they um, move out of the sort of shared trauma of COVID and into whatever comes next.
1: Yeah. I, a lot of, a lot of these kind of strategies that schools seem, seem to be implementing um like you said, are kind of long-term, bigger picture changes that, you know, maybe have been due for a long time. Um, But in the short term, you you know, with Zane as an example, for students who are experiencing, you know, bullying repeatedly on a day-to-day basis, like, what support exists like right now?
0: That's such a hard question. I think it depends on where you go to school and what kind of culture um, that school has created. And um, you know, I, I know that Zane is a student who is trying to transfer to a different school, like has maybe just concluded that where he's at is 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 not an environment where he can thrive and flourish. And in fact, his family is is even trying to figure out if if they should leave the public school system entirely, wow. which um is really hard because you know, um, so many people want to be invested in their city and their neighborhood and the school system. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, 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 it really just depends on a school and it's kind of like the counselor out at Centennial said, um, you know, they are, there are more adults in the building now and things are more stable and it's all still a work in progress.
1: Mm. Well, I think those were all my questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or that you hope readers take
0: away from your story? Oh, thank you for that question. I, I guess I'd say, I hope people will get in touch. I, um, try really hard to have the voices of parents and students in my stories and teachers too. We can almost, oh, we can always reach an administrator. We can always reach a spokesperson, but um, I, it really matters to me. And I would really love to hear from people um, who might want to let me know how their school year is going and and what I should write about next.
1: Well, Julia, thanks for your reporting and for coming on the show to talk about it. Really appreciate it thank you so much for having me. It was good fun. Well, thank you for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. If you haven't read Julia's latest story, I highly recommend it. You can find a link in the episode notes. And as always, if you like the show, we wouldn't say no to a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.